podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. On the Front Burner puts two no-nonsense culinary professionals on air discussing tough industry topics, interviewing fascinating food personalities, and providing penetrating looks at the industry that we love. We don't always agree and often provide compelling personal insights from a unique combination of life experiences. You know, it's a lively give and take. It's by no means conventional. Elaine owns Sweet Cheeks Baking Company and is a winner of the Food Network's Cupcake Wars and Fabulous Cakes. A seasoned industry professional, she is a cake designer and a certified sommelier. Don is a chef, an award-winning journalist, and a culinary educator. Together we take a not-always-pretty, sometimes-funny, and always-entertaining look at the world of food and beverage. Welcome to the July edition of On the Front Burner. I'm Don Williamson. Hi, I'm Elaine Ardizzoni. Today, we're going to hear from one of San Diego's leading wine judges about the explosion in popularity of local vineyards, wineries, and tasting rooms, and the differences between the three. We will also meet a local winemaker who is shaking up the national wine scene with award-winning blends crafted right here in San Diego. First, we want to be sure to invite you to the next installment of Chefs de Cuisine Limited Engagement Series, where we offer one-time-only culinary experiences in restaurants, hotels, wineries, breweries, and private homes throughout San Diego. Hey, well, this time we're hosting a limited engagement, Ocean Beach Paella Passion. It takes place Thursday, July 18, from 6 to 9 p.m., and that's going to be at Gianni Buonomo Vintners. It's at 4836 Newport Avenue in Ocean Beach, and that one sounds so good. It's going to be because we're going to have a sumptuous charcuterie and gourmet cheeses. We're going to have a signature vegetarian paella and a classic Valencia paella featuring the seafood, the sausage, the chicken, all prepared by Chef Lirosindo West, who has spent the last five years enchanting diners at Cafe Sevilla in San Diego's Gaslamp Quarter. Each course offered will be expertly paired with one of the outstanding wines by master winemaker Keith Rolle. The evening ends with an unbelievable dessert course from the fabulous French gourmet restaurant, bakery, and catering company that is celebrating 40 years as one of the most outstanding eateries in the region. For more information and to buy tickets, visit sdchefs.org and click on Limited Engagement Paella Passion. Tickets are $45 for Chefs de Cuisine members and $55 for non-members. Attendance is limited to only 50 people. Buy your tickets now, sdchefs.org. And since we're talking about wine and wine events, there is a tremendous amount of local interest in wine. Mm -hmm. Our own Elaine is a sommelier and has worked at wineries and vineyards and tasting rooms. And they seem to be popping up everywhere. But we want to begin by defining exactly what's going on, how widespread the phenomenon is, and the quality of what's out there. And to do that, we brought in a top local wine judge, 
Uh, it's really amazing to me. You know Brad is well, Elaine, and, and it's amazing to me that whenever I'm somewhere where there are sommeliers and wine people, they talk about Brad's nose and Brad's taste and Brad's ability to discern wines that even some of the people that have credentials don't. So uh, we're lucky to have him here. He's also a board member on Chester Cuisine. Brad, thanks for coming. Hello. Thank you for inviting me, and good morning. Good Hi, morning. Brad. Hi, Elaine. So nice to see you again. Good to see you both. Yeah. Brad, I know one of the things that we're going to talk about in the next segment today is about the differences in understanding about wineries, about tasting rooms, about vineyards. And I think people kind of lump all of that together. You want to talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, um, and maybe differentiate between them. Um, It's most interesting to me uh, that I heard last week that San Diego County, in our county, has 115 licensed wineries. Um, Now, a winery— What did you just say, 115? 115. 115. 115. San Diego County. San Diego County. That's pretty astounding. And then when this number, as an aside, when it's mentioned to people— they say, oh, uh, that includes all the Temecula wineries. No, it doesn't. Wow. Temecula wineries are in Riverside County. It's a whole other ballgame, right? Right. Yeah. So it's interesting that this is entirely in the county, um, but we have a very large county. So the differentiation needs to be made between a vineyard and a winery. Yeah, that's so, true. So I've divided it. I hope you'll agree with me in kind of four ways. A vineyard is... Someone that owns land, typically, they grow grapes, they plant, they water, they manage for disease, and then when it's the right time to harvest, we hope, then they harvest the grapes. They're farmers. Yeah, they're farmers. Agriculturalists. Agriculturalists, farmers, and at a winery that sells their wine, they also have to be marketing people, they have to be human resources people. Yeah. Um, um, they have to manage the land in a healthy manner. So the vineyard's job is to produce healthy grapes. Now, some vineyards are also producing wineries, and they make wine. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're talking about here is urban wine wineries, um, and they have wonderful winemakers. But how they work, they work by acquiring grapes, by buying grapes, having grapes shipped to them and producing from grapes that are shipped to them. Now, I'm curious, in the urban wineries here, and uh, in our next segment, I know we're going to be talking to someone who who has one, um, are most of them actually having the grapes shipped, or are they more often having the juice shipped? They are having the grapes shipped most most often. Okay, cool. So they're pressing themselves. Yes, and if you go to these wineries, uh, to these urban wineries at the right time of the year, which is in the fall— you can see the picking bins mm-hmm. full of grapes, it's and so the neat. grapes are fermenting. Often they'll ferment in a half-ton, three-quarter-ton, or one-ton picking bins mm-hmm. right in the winery. And I remember how fascinated people are that go for a tasting to see a picking bin full of grapes. Well, you know how we all are when we go behind the scenes in anybody's business. It's so cool, and there isn't anything much more magical than going behind the scenes in a winery, I think. So cool. So the grapes that are made at urban wineries don't have to come from anywhere in that area. 
Is that right? That is correct. They don't. And the urban wineries in San Diego, some bring their grapes up from Baja, um, and some bring their grapes from San Diego County or Riverside County, and they get them from perhaps the Temecula growers that we know. Um, and then others go far afield. Um, you're going to hear from a winemaker who brings grapes from eastern Washington. I have a question, though. Would it, wouldn't it matter really just how they label? So, I mean, they could be bringing grapes from Chile if they wanted to. They could be bringing grapes from Italy if they wanted to pay the freight you know, for any of these places. But it's just how they label the bottle at this point, or no? Um, In hard, the urbans. I, I, hard to answer that question, but um, there are home winemaking shops that actually do bring grapes from Chile. Yeah. And do bring breaks from Italy, but those typically um, they bring the juice and it's frozen. Oh, or they bring it in large bladders. Um, the yeah. urban wineries want to control quality from beginning, which is the grapes to the end, which is the wines that they sell. Mm-hmm. So they get the grapes and then they work with them from then on. Great, that's neat. Um, um, there are there are growers that have vineyards that produce grapes, but they don't make any wine. They just simply are growers and produce grapes for others. Um, and are you taking them out of the vineyard production? Are you calling them something else? Or they're vineyards? No, they're just growers and, and producers. Um, and inter- an interesting aspect of urban wineries is the number of urban wineries want to sell a sparkling wine. And there's the traditional way of making sparkling wine is called method chimpanois, which yeah. is you make the wine in the bottle. You know that, Elaine, right? Yeah. Um, and it's a very intensive operation, um, and it requires special equipment. And so one can actually buy from from vineyards that produce wine, you can buy what are called shiners. This is inside industry knowledge. Yeah. And you can buy shiners, and they're shiners because they're just smooth bottles, and you can put your label on it. And so now you can sell a sparkling wine that you haven't made. But it's reasonable because it's un- it is almost unreasonable to expect a fall faci- small facility to make every kind of wine, including sparkling wine. Oh, okay. So they're buying the— bottled sparkling wine that just gets a label added. It's like a pers- like a proprietary labeling that a restaurant might do. Correct. It's okay. like a proprietary gotcha. label. Gotcha. And, and actually, the wine can be made to their specifications. Yeah. But typically, most of the wine that you'll see in the urban wineries have been vinified, um, pressed, um, fermented, and then aged in, aged in wooden barrels or, in some cases, stainless steel. And then they do the blending and they do the bottling. Mm-hmm. So they have a tremendous amount of effort going on in their small office park places yeah. or their small businesses. And there is no reason um, that they can't produce wine as good as is produced where a traditional vineyard is sure. where they're producing wine. Uh, do, do most of these places produce and sell more for instance, retail by the glass and by the bottle for people who are coming into the space, or are they selling them in case also by the case to a wholesale, maybe to restaurants or whoever? Is there is, is are most of them more of a homespun driven out of the retail store kind of a business? Or that, that's a good question. And from from my experience, their goal is to reach the consumer, mm-hmm. and one way that they reach consumers very successfully is to have wine clubs. Right. 
Right. And they have yes, and they have thank you. You're right. It's, yeah. And they have wine clubs, uh, which you agree to buy a certain amount of wines each year. Maybe you get a shipment every two or three months. So, uh, and I think it goes back to a number of the urban wineries that people that I've met that run them. Um, they have a real strong sense of they love wine and winemaking, but they have a real strong sense of community mm-hmm. and a real strong sense that they want their urban winery to be. A gathering place, yeah, a meeting place, and since so many are, are in urban areas where you could walk, uh, or ride a bike, or take a lift to it, um, then it ends up being a gathering place and a, a community place. And I've, the ones I looked at just yesterday and today on their websites, you know, they have a place where you click on their website for donations, and I'm sure they can't give away all their production, right? But they are ready. And in some cases, you know, able to assist charities when they can. So it's a wonderful community activity. And interestingly, a, a typical urban winery, if you look at their website, will have eight or 10 or 15 employees. Yeah. So it's an amazing way for people to have a job, um, perhaps in the community where they live, or a part time job, um, and earn money and meet others in the community and help an urban winery. So so we've talked about vineyards, we've talked about wineries, and the last thing we're, we're looking at is tasting, tasting rooms, rooms, right? Right? Yeah. right, and now tasting rooms. Most urban wineries um, are a tasting room also. Um, there are tasting rooms in the county that have no connection to producing wine. They have tasting rooms that pour the wine that comes from elsewhere, for example, from the Central Coast. So there are wineries that are establishing tasting rooms. There is an urban winery that has a tasting room in Seaport Village. So that's a separate tasting room where they just take the bottles um, and they pour typically by the glass or sell it by the bottle to people. So to me, the goal is uh, ideally as people come in and start tasting by the glass and then they like the wine, and then perhaps they buy a bottle, and then they feel a connection to the shop. They feel a connection to the urban winery, and then they join the wine club. And now we start having this feeling of community um, and supporting each other and camaraderie and, interestingly, really good wine, which we'll hear about in the second half. You know, it's me. I did some. I taught some classes up at Cheval Winery in Escondido, and not only was I super impressed with the wines, and we got to try some when we actually interviewed uh, Lisa, who came down from there. But the, like you say, the camaraderie along amongst the Escondido wineries is very strong, and for sure, the wine club members and people get involved. They love to go there. They sit out on Sundays. The place is packed. She's got somebody playing music. It just is a lovely atmosphere. It's been, I think, a really beautiful boon to the area. And I've been really just beautifully surprised at how the quality of the grapes that they're growing there. And then, of course, some they're bringing in. They buy in some grapes as well. But it's really good stuff. Right. Yeah, it is. Can you think of some other area we need to explore, Don? Well, I think one thing we talked about, not just the wine, but the culture that's kind of grown up in the county around the wine. And one of the things that you talk a lot about are the wine groups here in town. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, and there are an an unknown number of wine groups around the county showing their interest in wine. Um, A a meetup group I've been in for years is San Diego Wine Fanatics. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the last count I saw was over 5,200 members Holy in cow. the meetup group. How many people meet up at a time typically? Um, a small meetup with them would be 30 or 40, and a large one would be 100 or so. So, wow. But they've met at Gian Yabanamo a number of times, and they're going to meet there again in the near future. Um, and so there are quite a number of meetup groups. Most of them are tasting groups. Okay. Um, a group that I've been heavily involved with for years is the San Diego Wine Guild. And we have met for 30 years now, once a month. And over the years, it's we've... Good, acqu- devo- good dedication, Brad. Yes, good, good dedication. Once a month for 30 years. <laughs> um, and uh, we've acquired a reputation for knowing what we're doing um, and having good meetings. And so we are able to attract winemakers from all over the country. Um, actually, we've had winemakers from Virginia and Missouri before, from western, eastern Washington, and most recently, um, my son, who runs a tasting room in Oregon, Linnae Winery in Oregon, he did a program a month ago oh, for the great. San Diego Wine Guild, and we poured uh, seven of his wines. So the San Diego Wine Guild, um, a focus is on wine education, and there are a few tasting groups that are focused on education, and we're focused on education as a member of the American Wine Society. Now, is that for people who are of kind of the general public? Do you have to be in the wine industry? What's the what's the typical clientele of that group? Uh, good right, good question, Neely. Um, typically, it's someone that really likes wine. Okay, so it's, it's just aficionados, and it can be anyone could join. Anyone. We're absolutely, we welcome mm-hmm. everybody, everyone to join the That's San Diego great. Wine Guild chapter of the American Wine Society, um, and anyone can join. There are people who in the group who are winemakers, mm-hmm. um, and there are people who are studying for their SOM exam, and then there are a lot of people that just really like wine so it's and a, come it's to a the meeting. Yeah, I've been um, on the Women's Wine Alliance, which was the Women in Wine years ago, and it changed to Women's Wine Alliance. And I'm looking at you thinking, oh, gosh, 30 years of dedication, that's incredible. And now that I think about it, it's been almost 20 years that I've been part of that group, and again, once a month. And it's, but it is more tailored to people in the wine industry, and they have just been kind enough to let me hang on, hang on, even though I'm not officially in the wine business anymore. But it is very intense. It's only an hour to an hour and a half. We have um, we've had speakers from Firiato in Sicily, Elaine Honig from Napa, and on and on, people like that. It's often women in the industry who speak, but it's an incredible group for people who are really dedicated to learning and staying in the wine industry, and that's really who it's focused on. So it's great to know of both types of groups, you know, the people who are, I love the fact that you have a group that's, that's available to the average person. Yes, absolutely nice. available, and we love welcome them. people. They can find it on our website, www.sandiegowineguild.org. Great. Uh, okay. Another uh, reason that there is a lot of interest in San Diego in wine is that uh, – as a result of Robert Whitley's work over the years, and now Rich Cook, there are actually seven wine competitions held here uh, in the area. Nice. And because in to run a wine competition, you need 40, 50, 60, 70 volunteers. Yeah, exactly. So every, every wine competition has all this many volunteers, um, and we work on them all year. And we get to know each other um, and work together. And so these people have started some of their own wine groups, and we're all quite active um, in the community with with wine and really enjoying it and want to support. And so a number of those members support the wineries, urban wineries locally, 
and then they support the Temecula wineries. So they, Temecula wineries don't really need a lot of help or support. They can get, on a weekend day, 1,500 people in their tasting room, yeah. um, you know, which is just an amazing number because of the tourism there. Right. Um, um, I'd like to point out, out of the 115 San Diego County wineries, a number of them are kind of hybrid wineries, which is interesting. What do you mean by that? They're right on the edge of the city. So they're kind of semi-suburban urban wineries. Okay. Um, so, for example, what would you say about Bernardo Winery? It's, oh, right, which is a mm-hmm. lovely spot. And where is it? It's sort of well, it's in Rancho Bernardo. Right. Yeah, and it's sort of it's in a very residential little neighborhood there. Right, and it's very residential, and they make wine, and they grow some grapes, but much of the, what they make comes from elsewhere. But, you know, it's an urban winery. It's a tasting room. It's a restaurant. Oh, they got that fabulous little restaurant. Yeah. They yeah, do vis- tons of weddings. We've done lots of cakes there. Visitor center. Yeah. So it's really – and then, you know, Orfila is quite well known. Our, yeah. I see they've opened another tasting room. They have one in Julian, and now they have one in Oceanside. Um, and it's almost an urban winery because there's a high school across the street, for goodness sakes, and people could walk there. But – Not it, the high school kids. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they can walk to the golf That's course. That's not their target market. <laughs> they can oh, you walk... mean in Fallbrook or Fila? Yeah, well, no, our Fila is actually south end of Escondido. And they're... Oh, Escondido. Yeah. So it's amazing. Uh, doing a little research for this uh, podcast, I, I just typed in Escondido Urban Wineries, and 30 names came out. There's a lot of stuff going on. Escondido, San Marcos, we've had, we talked about this at one of our other shows. It's crazy how much is going on up yes. there. So, I, you know, when Keith talks uh, later, I'd like him to talk about the San Diego Urban Wineries, but it's actually an organization of of 15 wineries and associates. Um, and then there are actually urban wineries that aren't even part of them, which is interesting, and Bernardo Winery is one of them. So it's just, there's such, such a hybrid. There, there are locations that have a few grapes. There are locations like Orfila that have a lot of grapes. Right. And interestingly, Orfila sells the winery, and Justin Mund is the general manager and winemaker. He is a friend of mine. He sells grapes. For example, a Syrah is sold to a number of San Diego County uh, urban wineries and wineries that have a little bit of grapes, but they don't have really great Syrah grapes mm-hmm. or Montepulciano grapes. Mm-hmm. So he sells to others. So it's a wonderful, I think, cooperative effort that goes around in the county of wineries and urban wineries helping each other. Great. Brad, you want to take just a minute and talk about what you do as a judge? I say you're a judge, and people say, well, what, what does that mean? You want to just tell us about that? I tell you what people want to know is, how do I become a judge? <laughs> that sounds like a pretty sweet deal. <laughs> you two pose hard questions. Um, well, an answer I often give, I gave to someone yesterday who said I'd love to do that. Um Within the last six months, I judged at a wine competition, and I had 31 Merlots at 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, that's the challenge. Okay, so Mm -hmm. the challenge is people really love wines, and they can describe wines, and then they can they describe the 10th wine and the 20th and the 30th and the 40th. And are they willing to spit, really? (laughs) Yeah, and are you willing to spit? Okay, so, but a wine judge, the way I approach it, uh, the very first wine I get of a day, whatever it is, Chardonnay, Merlot, Cabernet, whatever in the world it is, recently a 30, 25 or 30 rosés, 
I have to get in a frame of mind that the first wine I taste at 8.30 or at 9 in the morning may be the best wine all day. So I fully smell. You have to you have to really swirl the wine and smell it to see all of its wonderful qualities. Um, and occasionally it has off qualities, it has faults, um, and a little humor that I enjoy is sometimes you smell a wine and it's a DNPIM wine. Do you know what that is, Elaine? What did you say? DM as in Mary? DNPIM. That means do not put in mouth. That's like the PETA, the P-I-T-A, we say, the pain in the ass. Okay, good. Okay, so... But that very seldom happens, but it's really important to check the the quality of the aroma. <laughs> Do not to, to put learn everything. Mouth. That's so good. I, the, you just made my day with that. <laughs> so very few get very few of those, thank goodness. So you want to smell it, get all the qualities of the aroma, now note them down in some way. Um and then put it in your mouth, swish it around. At at, at a minimum I note the entry of the wine, what it's like. At a minimum, I notice the mid-palate, the weight of it, and the flavors I get in the mid-palate. And then I spit the wine, and then I note the finish. How was the finish? So, And then I evaluate all those qualities, the aroma, the entry, mid-palate, finish, along with other qualities like typicity. Uh, so what's that? Typicity is a typical. So right. I may get... Um, a Pinot Noir that I'm tasting, and it smells and tastes like a wonderful Cabernet, it will not get a medal because it ought to taste and smell like a Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting aspect that typicity is needed. Now, some of the competitions I judge, uh, even a commercial one, um, they ask us to write complete notes about the wines. The aroma, the palate, the acid, the tannin levels, the sugars, is it typical? Um and then the notes are given to winemakers. So those competitions are really um, – I take them very seriously. Very intense. But, yeah, because you have to sign the notes too. <laughs> so the winemakers know <laughs> who you are. Your name are, is on it. Who you are and you what you – You don't have to you, put your address on there, do you? No, no. <laughs> but they can get the name from you. So the ideal uh, Orange County competition I judged the other week uh, – what your, your goal is is to help the winemaker do a better job. Yeah. Uh, with the wine. So that's that's the wine competitions I judge where you have to write notes to them. And with those, you'll have to take four or five, six minutes of wine. Um, if it's a wine competition where you're just giving gold, gold, silver, platinum kind of medals, um, then you can go through uh, wines pretty quickly, a couple of minutes of wine. But you're still smelling everyone, you're tasting everyone, spitting everyone, um, and then writing it figuring what medal. Um, and if you feel very strongly you want to give up gold medal and your other people on the panel you're with, typically we're in a panel of two, three, four people, um, then you have to be able to justify your review. Um, mm-hmm. And perhaps everybody goes back and smells and tastes the wine again to see if they can see what you now see in the wine. Um, I judged last night with a group that I judged with of eight judges, and we judged a whole group of Cabernet blends, and for the first time I can remember in a long time, all eight of us voted the exact same way on the same line. Oh, isn't that interesting? So usually there's a divergence of opinion because there's a divergence of preferences, Um, and the diversion 
usually occurs because different judges have different thresholds of qualities. So, for example, three or four of us noted a slight sulfur note in a wine, still like a struck match, and three or four of the judges didn't notice it. Yeah. So judges have different – and you can talk about that, Elaine. Uh, well, every human has a different sensitivity in their nose and palate and everything. Look at all the people who eat places that we couldn't possibly imagine. Like, why are they eating that? <laughs> and they think it's the most delicious thing, and they can't imagine why I like green smoothies. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, everyone has different – Different body, you know, right. period. Right. But the problem here is you've got to have some basis where the, the, that you can actually some judge common from. ground, right. right? Of course. Yes, and that, that's a good question of Don's because the only way to figure um, on a short, you know, in a short time span, if a wine is appropriate, if it's typical of its variety, is to have had a lot of right. lot of wines. Right. So fortunately, I probably uh, write reviews of eleven, twelve, thirteen hundred wines a year. A lot, which is small compared to some people, but I get to see a whole range of wines, um, and that that I think really helps me. Um, a, a point I would make: it'd be interesting to see if Keith would comment on this. Um, is I have long felt that people can imprint on wineries, just like the old story of the biologist, where the new new hatch ducks imprinted on the biologist and followed him around. And I think that if people have a good time or within, with people they love, if they have wine at an urban winery or even at a vineyard and a winery, um, that they can imprint basically on that wine. And that is now kind of a standard of quality for them because they were so emotionally involved when they first had the wine. That is such a neat thing, a neat concept you just brought up. And I have to say, one of the things I have always known about wine uh, chefs for some to some degree as well in restaurants, but it, with wine, it is so much about the story often. So I know when you you can drink wine all you want, but boy, it's like the people who go to an actual winery or, or vineyard and someone takes the time to talk with them and teach them something. They feel a connection with that winemaker or that owner or that tasting room, whoever it is. But the person who actually takes the time and and they feel like they build a little rapport suddenly and they hear a little bit about the background story of maybe how or you know something about the the people who built it up instantly they like that wine better right instantly correct. it's like if you go to a restaurant you can eat your dinner and leave or you can go to a restaurant the chef comes out and talks to your table you immediately are going to like that restaurant better immediately it's a personal people like a personal connection they like familiarity okay wonderful so yeah. I really appreciated getting chance to talk about urban wineries, and I really appreciate I'm going to get here. Keith, talk about his winery. And you'll winery. get to talk to him, too, because the last question I wanted to have for you before we wrap this segment up, can we really get good wine made here in San Diego? Or does it have to be Napa or Sonoma or Santa Barbara? Shaw. Yes, we can absolutely get really good wine here in San Diego. Yay. Um, wine is scored in many publications, including publication I judge for, the California Grapevine. It gets a score up to 100. And a local winery I just saw this week in a national publication had a 91 score, a 92 score, and wow. a 94 score <gasps> in national publication. That's pretty much equivalent to scores that – Wineries get in Napa, Sonoma, and even yeah. from foreign countries. So, yes, local wineries can get critically evaluated wine with high scores. 
and they can get wines that are delicious. And we're going to talk to someone in just a minute who's really making great wines right here in San Diego and winning awards all over the country. For now, I'm Don Williamson. And I'm Elaine Ordizzoni. This was really fun. And we're on the front burner. Thanks, Brett. Thank you all. Thank you.